Man, what a wonderful song written by Curtis Parks, our campus pastor of the Potomac Yard. And, uh, I, you know, he read The Circle Maker and said, hey, I'm just going to turn this into a song. I said, you go right ahead. Um, and uh, wonderful to be able to worship the Lord in that way. I can't tell you how excited I am about the series that we're in, The Circle Maker, uh, a series on prayer. And uh, again, welcome to everybody at uh, all seven of our campuses, as well as those that are tuning in via uh, webcast and podcast. It's so neat. We have uh, an extended church family all around the world. Get me emails all the time from the craziest places around the planet of people who tune in and uh, been a part of the NCC in the past. You know, maybe worked on the Hill, State Department, whatever, did an internship here and, and uh, moved somewhere else, but still stay connected. And so, uh, it is such a joy being a part of this church family, and, and I'm excited about what God's doing uh, in, at National Community Church. I've got to say, last Tuesday night, our prayer meeting was one of the greatest nights in, in 15, going on 16 years of pastoring this church. Tuesday night, one of the greatest nights. I mean, to pack out a place in prayer... And then to let everybody go, but stay and just keep seeking the Lord. And then the early morning prayer times, I'm telling you what, this 21 day prayer challenge uh, is going to shape what God is going to do in 2012. This is the year of prayer, YLP. And let me just say, if you're new this week um, and you missed the kickoff, then please don't pray. (laughs) If it's not 21 days, it's nothing. Now, come on. I don't care if it's a 16-day prayer challenge, 15, 14. I don't care if it's three days. Let's get in on what God's doing. Um, and excited. Uh, 1,233 people. So I'm in. And, uh, but we, we need to get everybody. And so I'm believing for a few thousand people. So I'm, I'm in. Uh, I'm part of this prayer challenge. Uh, by the way, um, was that story... Um, video is awesome to you. I, by the way, that's Todd Schofield. He's an actor. He and Alicia have been a part of the church for a long time. And uh, Todd, I don't know which campus you're at, but if you would be willing to come and just read our family a bedtime story uh, this week. <laughs> Who has a voice like that? That is not fair. Um, excited about the story group, other groups during the J term, and then of course Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, that next week we kick off all of our small groups, and so exciting things happening uh, here at National Community Church. If you have a Bible, you can turn over to uh, Acts chapter ten. Now we'll get there in a few minutes. I'm going to give you a few minutes to turn there. Now there's a wonderful verse in the book of Revelation that says that, that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony. Now, testimony is just sharing what God's done. But I think a lot of us, we keep our testimonies to ourselves. And so then no one knows what God is doing in some, anybody else's life. And then we don't think God's doing anything. But the truth is, if we all took time to share our testimony, our story of how we came to grace and knelt at the foot of the cross and God changed our life, man, it, we would all be lit on fire. And if we shared testimonies of answered prayer and things that God's doing, um, it would just change the game. It would fill the atmosphere with electricity. And we might know why the early church, when they gathered together, why it says they were filled with awe because they just couldn't wait to see what God was going to do so I make no apologies tonight that a lot of what I share are testimonies during this series I want to share some testimonies of answered prayer Uh, six years ago I wrote my first published book in a pit with a line on a snowy day and while I was writing, there was a group of NCCers, uh, our prayer team, then at a couple of different locations that uh, formed a prayer circle around me, around their pastor and said, Pastor, we're praying for you as you write. We know it's hard. We know you're getting up early in the morning. And, and so we just want you to know we are circling you in prayer. And I tell you what, they prayed me through. And I, this is so challenging. I, like, I even hesitate to do this because I'm going to leave someone out. But, you know, I think about Beth and Heidi and Deb and Madeline and my mother-in-law, Karen, uh, some of the early intercessors and then others over the years that have been grafted into that process. And I, I want you to know I covet your prayers. 
I'm a guy that will take every prayer I can get. When the book was finished, we changed our prayer. I'll tell you exactly what we prayed. Very specific prayer. Lord, let this book get into the right hands at the right time. I have prayed that prayer. In this circle of you, have prayed that prayer hundreds, maybe thousands of times. And if we had time, I could tell you some stories. How the book has gotten into the right hands at the right time. People send me emails, letters. I mean, emails from prison that, you know, kind of a captive audience. But, but life-changing and, and get out and, man, they're chasing some lines. And, and people will sit next to someone on an airplane and just changes their destiny. You know, every once in a while, if I'm speaking at a conference, I'll have someone come up. And I remember a couple not long ago coming up and said, you know, your book sat on our shelf for years. And they, they said, I'm so, we're sorry, but your book, you know, we just did I was like, make no apologies. Like, you need to know. I pray to get in the right hands at the right time. You weren't ready to read it. And they said, we picked it up. And there's one paragraph. And they showed me the book. And they pointed to it. And they said, this saved our marriage. Others that have come up and said, you know what? It, it was the right time. I was in the middle of a big decision. Or I was going through a crisis. The loss of a loved one. Or a, a, a diagnosis that wasn't what I was expecting. And, and somehow that book just got in my hands at the right time. If I had a nickel for every time someone said that. And you know what? It doesn't surprise me anymore. Why? Because we prayed it. We prayed it. So a few years ago, I met Harry Rexroth. Now... I didn't know it at the time, but Harry's kind of a legend in the metro D.C. area. Uh, he's worked with Youth for Christ for somewhere in the neighborhood of four decades. Just loved on teenagers and blessed a lot, of, influenced a lot of people. And you know, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, we were uh, up at uh, a friend's cabin at Lake Anna, a pastor friend who said to our family, just go and use it for a few days. And so we were there. And Harry, who I didn't know from Adam, knocks on the door. Well, I'm a little surprised because here we are staying in someone else's cabin and then neighbors coming up, knocking on the door, and then ask for a tour of the place. And so, I mean, he looks safe enough. So I'm like, I invited him in just, and it wasn't two minutes. And he's like, so what are you doing here? And I'm like, we're here with our family vacationing. And it was over a spring break, so the marina was closed. Not two minutes. He's like, what? Use my pontoon boat this week. I'm starting to like this guy. Like, do you want to know my name first before you give us your pontoon boat? I mean, just so gracious. And one thing leads to another. And so we go back over to his cabin and get the keys for the pontoon boat. And I'm walking through. And there's a book on his coffee table. Uh, written by a, a former um, cabinet member of a former administration who attended our church. And, and so uh, that just kind of sparked a conversation and come to find out, Dick Foth, who part of our teaching team uh, and uh, just dear friend of ours, mentor to me for 15 years. Okay, so Come to find Dick Foth is a friend of his, Harry's, a friend of mine, a friend of this cabinet member. Shocker, right? Because like Dick Foth is friends with everybody. It's like the six degrees of Dick Foth. Um, so I wasn't totally shocked, but, and again, this is going somewhere. So I find this curious. Like, you give me your pontoon boat. Let me give you a book. Not quite a fair swap. But I, I said, hey, I like, because we were talking about Dick, I said, my last book, Wild Goose Chase, I had just written it, and I dedicated it to Dick. And so I said, Harry, I want, I'm just going to send you a book. I mean, I, it's not repayment, but thanks so much. And so I sent him the book, and he loves it. And he starts recommending it to all kinds of friends and gets really excited uh, about the book. And, uh, and come to find out, um, gives it to a friend of his, uh, Tom Meeks. Tom is a deacon at Glen Echo Baptist Church. About nine months ago, Glen Echo Baptist Church felt like it was time for that church to close its doors. 
It was a thriving church 10, 20, 30 years ago, but handful of members, and they just felt like the Lord were prompting them to gift their property. And so Tom called Harry, who knew Dick. Wow, there we go, you know. Um, it's all coming together. And said, Harry, would Youth for Christ want our building? Um, and Harry's like, you know what, Tom? I mean, that is so gracious. Like, appreciate it. But I don't think we can use the building. Um, but I had this friend who wrote this book called Wild Goose Chase. I think you should call him. It was a Tuesday morning last June. I get a, a phone call from Tom Meeks. And Tom's like, uh, hi, Mark. Got your name from Harry. Um, I'm a deacon at Glen Echo Baptist Church, and we'd like to consider giving our building to you. Wait, what? Wait, first of all, what was your name, and what are you thinking about doing? We have lunch that day. One thing leads to another. On Tuesday of this past week, I sit in a lawyer's office, and Glen Echo Baptist Church signs over the deed to their property at a national community church. Now, that gift is worth well in excess of a million dollars. And then the church will give what's left in their checking and savings account and gift that over to National Community Church. And then they own an annex in Glen Echo, which they will sell valued at about three four hundred thousand dollars and the proceeds from that sale will be gifted to national community church are you kidding me how does that happen you know what what i've just done is trace a genealogy of prayer and that's what i'm talking about tonight I believe that when you pray a specific prayer and it's in the will of God and for the glory of God, then you better look out. Because God might answer in a way that just knocks your socks off. Like, I had no idea when I was going to get the, the book in the right hands at the right time that I'd meet Harry Rexroth, who has a friend named Tom Meeks, and, one, and then bam. Now listen to me. Every miracle, every blessing, every divine appointment, I believe, has a genealogy. If you trace them back, you'll find a prayer that set it in motion. But isn't God sovereign? Yes, God is sovereign. But in His sovereignty, He has declared that we're part of the mix. It's not the great mission, it's the great commission. God determined that I'm going to let you tell them. He could do it Himself, do it a lot better. But He said, you know what? I'm going to weave my creation into my story. And so it's a great co-mission. How, how do we get into that co-mission? I think prayer is one of the big ways. Prayer is a way that we step into our destiny, the way that we step into the sovereignty of God and begin to see the hand of God move. See, I just believe that you've got to work like it depends on you and you've got to pray like it depends on God. You've got to do both of those things. Now, you still with me? I want to weave one more prayer into the mix. It was about two years ago, staff meeting, time of prayer, and I felt a distinct impression to pray, Lord, do something unprecedented. It's a prayer I'd never prayed before. And it was a prayer that, remember last week, we talked about the first object of prayer is to, is to pray about what to pray about. And if you get in prayer long enough, then the Spirit will begin to lead you and you kind of know what person to pray for and how to pray for a situation. And man, this is one that God just put in in my spirit. Lord, do something unprecedented. Now, it's kind of a scary prayer because what does that mean? That means I'm giving up a measure of control. I'm giving up some predictability. I'm asking God to do something that would surprise me. And I don't know, some surprises are great, some not so much. You know, I generally want the 25-year plan from God. Just lay it all out for me. But, but what God wants is for us to live in daily dependence. You know why God didn't let the Israelites collect more manna than, than was enough for one day? I'll tell you why. Because on day two, day three, day four, each day they would have felt less dependence upon God for their supply. And so God gives us just enough in His grace to realize that we still have a raw dependence upon Him. In Him we live and move and have our being. And if He didn't do it, it's not going to happen. And so I'm praying this prayer. Lord, do something unprecedented. 
And God begins to fill me with a holy anticipation. I'm like, I can't wait to see, God, what you're going to do. And uh, I want to tell you something. I don't know how to say this. Baptist churches don't give their churches to non-Baptist churches. I don't even know how else to say it. Was that blunt enough? And that makes sense. You're going to give it to someone that's kind of in your family. You know, your denominational family. And so, it just seems to me like the miracle that God has just done could qualify as maybe an answer to a very specific prayer, which, by the way, we have prayed over and over again over the past two years. Lord, do something unprecedented. Now, here's the funny thing. Nine times out of ten, God answers our prayer, but we forgot what we prayed for, and so we fail to connect the dots and give Him the praise. But you know what? We're giving God the praise today because He answered a very specific prayer. So here's what I did. I went back looking through my old journal. Now, this is my uh, 2012 version, my 21-day I thought it was my journal for the whole year. It is 33% filled up. And so this is now my 21-day prayer challenge journal. And I have a feeling that every year when we do the 21 days of prayer and fasting, that I'll get a journal much like this to record what God speaks to me. The only thing I'm going to tell you is that the dreams that I thought were so big a week ago are looking a lot smaller compared to to some of what God's doing in my heart. And I'll tell you why. Because he's getting bigger. Oh, he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. My soul magnifies the Lord. So, today I'm going through my, I dig up, because I want to see if I can find this prayer. Lord, do something unprecedented. I remember it very distinctly. I think most of our staff will remember that distinct prayer. And so I I guess I was metallic back in the day. And so this is my old journal. And I'm going back through it. And I'm looking for that prayer. Are you ready for this? I'm looking for, Lord, do something unprecedented. I remember it was kind of winter, spring of 2010. I'm looking for it. And I can't find it. But here's what I find. April 10th, 2010. Okay, almost two years ago. This is what I wrote in my journal. Call Michael Hall at the People's Church. I don't even, I didn't even remember it. But evidently on this day, on April 10th, as I was in prayer... The Lord impressed upon me to call Michael Hall. I had never met him. I don't think I acted on it. I don't think I called him. Here's what I do remember, because I journaled it. A month and three days later, May 13, 2010, I met Michael and Terry Hall for the first time, and I'll tell you how. My publishers were flying into town and we were scheduled to have dinner that evening to discuss the next book project. It happened to be a Wednesday night at 7.30 and I happened to choose Matchbox on Barracks Row. Again, shocker, right? My publishers are running late. Their flight's delayed. But I'm, I'm on Barracks Row. So I'm like, I'm just going to walk down. It's, you know, four doors down. I'm going to walk down to the people's church. Okay, it's a Wednesday night at 7.30. That's when they have their midweek service. I don't honestly know if this has ever happened before or ever happened since at the people's church. I've not asked Michael. But on that night, no one showed up. No one. Except me. We had church. I don't know how else to describe it. Sweet fellowship. I fell in love with them. I mean, they felt like my grandparents. I felt like, I love you guys. 
and, and I think they like me a little bit too. Now, if they'd been having a service, I wouldn't have interrupted. We wouldn't have met. Um, long story short, we said, let's have lunch together. And we did. And one lunch led to another, to another lunch until last February, uh, the week right before the Super Bowl. I remember it. We're at Matchbox, me and Michael. I feel the Lord prompting me that impression. Ask him if he'll sell you the church. I'm like, Lord, no. I can't ask a third time. I don't want to offend him. I love him. The Lord said, ask him. Just so happens, both of us were doing a Daniel fast at the same time. Now, let me tell you something about fasting. It opens up the door to your heart a little wider. Your spirit opens up a little bit wider, so you're more open to the supernatural that's around you. You tend to see a little bit more. You tend to be able to see some of those divine opportunities. Long story short, he says, let me pray about it. It was the first time he said, let me pray about it. So he prays. And I get a text. I'm on an airplane with Josiah. We're flying to Dallas. I'm preaching there. And then we go to the Super Bowl on his birthday. So it's a weekend to remember. But you want to know what I remember about it? The text from Michael. Number one, I thought it was awesome that a 71-year-old pastor was texting be kidding me here's the first miracle right here awesome the second miracle is said mark the lord spoke to me in prayer and this is the miracle that we've been praying for and i didn't even realize it long story short double miracle happens when i when i open this journal I wept like a baby. I was heaving all by myself, glad that no one else was in the office. Because God took me back to a moment. I saw, I saw the, the seeds of faith. The seeds of, do you want to know what I wrote on May 13th after I met Michael Hall? I wrote divine appointment question because I didn't know, but I had kind of that holy hunch. Have you ever had that where, I don't know, God, I think, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think that was providence. And then, this is scary, but here's a glimpse into the mind of your crazy pastor. I wrote down these words. I'm like, where, where is it? Where did I write them down? Um, yeah, I wrote down, is a purchase possible? Almost like a question posed, you know, a year and a half before it would happen. Kind of a question posed to the Lord. And then, I don't even remember doing this. What was I thinking? I wrote down three phrases. Retrofit church, open balcony, restore old theater. I didn't even remember that. I think somehow, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing without me having any clue and began to plant the seeds of faith, the seeds of vision, the seeds of prayer. If you don't take anything else away from this weekend, let me challenge you. If you don't have a prayer journal, you need one. I'm going to tell you why. Now, journaling isn't technically a spiritual discipline. But you know what? I'm just going to take liberty and add it to the list. Because there's no official list. <laughs> well, you say, what's your, what's your biblical substantiation? Give me, give me chapter and verse. I'll give you Habakkuk. Write down the vision. Oh, no, that's vision. That's not prayer. Oh, is there a difference? You tell me. Because all I know is the more I pray, the more I dream. And the more I dream, the more I have to pray. I think it was Catherine Marshall who said... Praying is a form of dreaming. And dreaming is a form of... And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you need to pray more. And I say that lovingly and nudgingly. Because what I've found is that when I get into God's presence, I begin to think God's thoughts. And I have God ideas. And God begins to conceive dreams. And when Habakkuk says, write down the vision. Because the shortest pencil is still longer than the longest memory. You got to write it down. Ah, yeah. Well, what about 2 Corinthians 10.5? Take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When you're praying, I hope you're thinking. 
You having some thoughts? You need to write those down. Why? I'm going to tell you why. So that you can give glory to God. So that you can give testimony and trace the genealogy all the way back. Oh, this was no accident. We prayed. A prayer circle was praying that that book would get in the right hands at the right time. No, we were praying, Lord, do something unprecedented. Yeah, we were praying. By the way, two other little stories. I could go all day. In 1960, I want to invite all of our locations into this story because we're one church with seven locations. Emphasis, one church. Man, we rejoice in each other. We thrill at what God is doing. You know, I'm up at, at Gala last weekend and the way that a community center up there has been opened up to us as a church. They've said, come in and use it as your outreach center. Come on. Hallelujah. I think about what God is doing across the board. Man, one location has a win. It's a win for everybody. And so um, let me share a win that's, that's happening. You know, seventh location, Barracks Row. Those aren't all the prayers that have been answered. The genealogy goes much further back than that. In 1960, are you ready for this? In 1960, an evangelist named R.W. Schambach was holding revival in Washington, D.C. I don't know how he ended up on 8th Street, but as he was walking down 8th Street, as the story is told to me, he walked by an old movie theater in the 1950s that showed westerns. Somehow, he felt some impression, some prompting to lay hands on that theater and claim it for the glory of God. That theater closed the next year. And the year after that, 1962, a couple of young church planners, Fred and Charlotte Hall, put a contract on 535 8th Street Southeast. And for 49 years, it was the people's church. Does that not give you a sense of that? Do you know at one point it was almost sold to a nightclub? No, no, no. That's not going to happen. Why? Because what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I believe that there was something in that prayer. It's not going to be used for that. It's going to be used for my purposes. It was claimed for my glory. One more. About 10 years ago, Michael Hall told me that uh, he had a vision. Had a vision of the people's church filled with young people worshiping God, all of their hands raised to the Lord out into the lobby and out onto the sidewalk. He had this vision and he anticipated the day that it would come. And he waited and waited and waited. Our first service at our Barracks Row campus, I don't know if you were there, it was packed. I mean, it was far more people than there were seats. The lobby was packed. It was out the, the, the door flowing into the sidewalk. And we're worshiping God. We're throwing down. And there's a moment where I'm like, we just have to give praise to God for the miracle that he's done for the double miracle people's church, national community church. We just all need to lift our hands to the Lord. I don't think in 50, that I had ever like said, everybody just raise your hands to the Lord. Like that's not something I typically mandate. I love it. I'm not going to tell you to do that. That can be God speaking to you if you want to do that. And, but in this moment, I just felt this impression like, no, everybody, we are all going to raise our hands and worship to the Lord and who's out on the sidewalk but Michael Hall and afterwards he comes to me he's like he's shaking he said Mark I just saw the vision fulfilled he said I thought that vision was for us that vision was for you and I want to tell you something I love this man he's one of my dearest friends he was as happy for us as he would have been as if the people's church had been packed with people you know what i found the more you grow in the lord the more you get to know other people the more you press into prayer the more you realize it's about the kingdom of god yeah churches have a different name over the door who cares you know what i found this week i've been praying for other churches um so much more uh meeting with other pastors and the more i get to know them the more i love them and the more i pray god bless them i don't care where revival starts i just want in on it I want to be a part of what you're doing. 
Are you in Acts 10? All right. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That part of the verse is underlined in my Bible. One day, I love this, one day. You never know what that one day might be. Today might be the day. You never know when God's going to invade the reality of your life and change it forever. But here's what I believe. You're one prayer away from a totally different life. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. I love it. I would like to see this. Kind of the deer in the headlights kind of deal. Like, And uh, what is it, Lord, he asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now, again, you need to go back and study these passages for yourself. You need to get revelation from God on these passages. Not the preacher. You need to go to the word of God. You need to feed on it yourself and you need to say, God, speak to me. But here's one thing that I notice here. Like, I've never noticed this in another place. A memorial offering before God that your prayers came up. You know what that tells me? God never forgets. Oh, he never forgets. Do you know that your prayers outlive you? Your prayers never die. No expiration date and God never forgets. Every prayer, every uttered, ever uttered, I believe, is then in the hands of God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of the attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Let me just say this, okay? One of the purposes of prayer, write this down if you're taking notes. One of the purposes of prayer is to get promptings, to get impressions from the Holy Spirit. Well, that sounds kind of weird. Well, does it? Are you talking to him? Is it possible he might want to say something to you? I think it's very possible. Now, the best way to do it, pray the word. Pray the Bible. Start reading the Bible. I promise you, you won't go too far but that you need to have a heart-to-heart conversation with God, right? So you read it, God begins to speak to you, and you get those promptings. (coughs) Now, I love the specificity here of this prayer. I mean, this is kind of crazy. Gets this specific impression to go to Joppa to find this guy named Simon, who's at Simon the Tanner. Like, what is going on? This is a crazy impression. What are you going to do with that? Verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry, wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a sheet being let down by, uh, to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Now, in Jewish vocabulary, unclean. Don't eat. No eat. Do not eat this. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. About the exact opposite of what Peter, as a uh, faithful Jewish father, would have ever imagined. No, Lord, I think you got that wrong. What you meant to say is, don't eat. No, 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 no. What I meant to say was, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I love verse 14. This is awesome. Surely not, Lord. Don't you love it when Peter rebukes the Lord? (laughs) But have you ever rebuked God? Or at least gotten into an argument with him? Here's what I've learned about that. If you win that argument, you lose. And if you lose that argument, you win. I don't have time for the long version, but you've heard the story 
about how the Lord impressed upon me that we need to start giving to missions before we are self-supporting church. About nine months in, $2,000 a month in income. We were paying $1,600 for the D.C. public school. Like that left 400 bucks for everything else. Like, come on, we were hurting for certain. And the Lord impresses on me, Mark, you need to start giving to missions. I'm like, what, Lord? Lord, no, no, surely not, Lord. Surely not. Surely we are the missionaries that need to be given to. But it was a prompting. I couldn't get away from it. I knew I'd be in disobedience if we didn't do it. I remember we wrote that first $50 check. It was so hard. It felt so crazy. Next month, 300% increase in giving. Came out of nowhere. Didn't come out of nowhere. Came out of faithful obedience. You take a step of faith in response to the promptings that you have in prayer, and you might just see the hand of God move. Surely not, Lord. Never eaten anything impure or unclean. That sounds to me like it'd be unprecedented. Many of us are willing to follow God to the point of inconvenience, but no further. Many of us are willing to follow God to the point of precedence, but no further. What are you talking about? Oh, those gifts of the Spirit. Man, I'm not sure about that. Ah. If you aren't willing for God to move in an unprecedented way in your life, then you're stuck right where you're at. And you will miss out on the miracle. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. What is it with Peter and the number three? You know? Immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men by, sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Okay, can you say divine appointment? Verse 23, the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter entered the house. Dot, dot, dot. You can read the Bible and not realize this is the most significant moment in the entire book of Acts. This moment, when Peter steps into Cornelius' home. Why? Because it was wrong. It was immoral. It was illegal. Jewish people did not associate with Gentiles. He broke every rule in the book when he crossed that threshold. He was crossing the Rubicon. It was one small step for Peter, but it was a giant leap for Cornelius and all Gentile kind. I don't have time to talk at length, but up until this point in history, the way, as it was known, was a sect of Judaism. There wasn't a single Gentile who was in the mix. Oh, but what about the day of Pentecost? Those were Jewish pilgrims. Cornelius, and I, you're gonna have to read the rest of the story, but trust me, same day gets radically saved, his household, his friends, they get baptized the same day, and bam, whosoever will may come. So if you're here today, you're a Gentile. You're not a Jew. Your genealogy traces back to this moment. If Peter doesn't step into that house, the Jewish sect just keeps being kind of what it is. But then the doors fly open and the gospel begins to go to the four corners. And that's why at the end of the day, every nation, tribe, language will be praising God. Can you just imagine what that moment is going to be like? It's going to lift us off of our feet. But it comes back to this moment. Well, what set up this moment? 
prayer. If Cornelius isn't praying regularly, if Peter isn't up on the rooftop praying, this miracle doesn't go down. This divine appointment doesn't happen. I'm going to make one observation. I said this, I could preach all day. The story is just so meaningful and there's so many dimensions and level of truth in it. But I'm going to limit myself to one little observation. Here it is. Peter and Cornelius should have never met. Never, ever, ever. Gentile Jew, don't associate. And Joppa, Caesarea, 32 miles apart. Oh, well, that's not that far. Uh, In the first century AD, the average person never traveled outside a 30-mile radius of their birthplace. So it sounds pretty unprecedented to me. They should never meet. But here's what I've found. I have found that when you follow Jesus, you never know. You just never know where you're going to go, who you might meet. I I love it. Is, you tell, is there another way to live than following Jesus, than living a spirit-led life, than trusting and circling the promise in Proverbs 16, 9, that in his heart a man plans his course, but God orders his footsteps. There is no other way to live than to live in the destiny that God has called us to. This is crazy, too. I mean, what, is Cornel- what, is, what are Cornelius' servants thinking? Okay, the old man's lost it now. I think he's finally gone off the deep end. You want us to go where and look for who? Craziness. Just absolutely crazy. You know what? Cornelius could have written it off as too much pepperoni pizza the night before. Don't lie, he was in the Italian regiment. I went to seminary for a reason. (laughs) The deep truths. But there is nothing like a vision that's conceived in the context of prayer. You know the chapter in the circle maker where I write about life goals? Have you noticed step one and step ten? Well, he must have made a mistake there because one is prayer and ten is prayer. No, no, I didn't make a mistake. You better pray before you start setting goals because they better be created in the context of prayer so that hopefully they glorify God. And then the last step is prayer, just to make doubly sure that these are things that glorify God. Like, you don't want to do this unless it's conceived in prayer. But because it's conceived in prayer, Cornelius has the confidence to send a dispatch to Caesarea. One thing leads to another, and history is changed. I don't care what location you're at, what nationality. If you are not Jewish, then you trace back your spiritual genealogy to this prayer. And that's awesome. I could tell you a lot of stories, but I'll close with this one. This week I had coffee with Mike Minter. He's the pastor of Reston Bible Church. Started the church 38 years ago. You know what that makes him in my book? Hero. It's the first time Mike and I have had the opportunity to be together, but man, I always I already count him a, a friend. And uh, one of the joys of the last year, by the way, has been befriending um, several pastors that have made a few more trips around the sun than I have. Um, in fact, a couple of weeks ago, it was really neat. I was blogging about how Amos Dodge, the pastor of Capital Church, uh, they're the church that had this crazy idea to do a sunrise service on Easter at the Lincoln. And uh, they've led that for so many years. And we finally got together. I was blogging about it one day, just saying how much I enjoyed the fellowship. And the Lord has brought three dear older pastor friends now into my life. And, and it was so cool because someone in the prayer circle that prays for me said, Pastor Mark, I've never told you this, but for the last year, the Lord specifically, I have it in my prayer journal. I was specifically praying that you would be befriended by some older pastors. See, 
it's the specificity of our prayers. And then just knowing that that was an answer to prayer, then I praise God even more for an Amos Dodge or a Mike Mentor or a Michael Hall because they are answers to prayer. All right, so uh, Mike is telling me about uh, a missionary that they support named Jamie Winship. His mission field is the Muslim world. He travels to Baghdad frequently. And he loves the Muslim people. He knows the Quran better than most of them. And uh, he's led countless imams to faith in Jesus Christ. He's one of those guys that prays crazy prayers and crazy stuff happens. Do you know anybody like that? Kind of just crazy? Like, um, well, divine appointments, supernatural synchronicities. I mean, just crazy stuff. You know, he'll be praying for an imam and then hop on a flight and that imam is on the flight in the seat next to him. You know, I mean, just stuff like that. And uh, so Mike was telling me, we're having a conversation about it and he's, he's reading the circle maker. And so we're talking about prayer. And it was like, Mark, one of, one of the greatest prayer moments of my life was not long ago, I, I was praying um, because I was having breakfast, uh, a breakfast meeting with Jamie Winship. And he has all this crazy stuff happen to him. And so I said, Lord, I'm sick of hearing his stories. I want to see one. Do something sovereign that's unmistakable. And then he goes and he meets Jamie at a Panera. And the woman in front of him is wearing a traditional uh, Muslim uh, hijab and head covering. And so the, only the eyes are visible. And I don't know. I, like, if, I can't really recognize people real well if I'm, like, I kind of need the whole facial feature. And, and so uh, um, he greets her in Arabic, which kind of catches her off guard a little bit. And they start having a conversation. And uh, then Jamie all of a sudden says, I know you. I heard you speak at the University of Georgia a year ago. And her eyes let up. I remember you. You were seated on the front row while I was speaking. Okay, come to find out, uh, Jamie had been specifically praying that he would meet this specific woman. Because she is one of the most influential women in the Muslim world. That conversation leads to a gathering, Mike and Jamie and a group of imams and and some other folks and an opportunity to dialogue about faith. Mike is telling me this story. I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Mike. That's like of biblical proportions. I mean, that's like crazy Cornelius Peter meeting each other. (laughs) Well, here's a thought. If we did what they did in the Bible, we might actually experience what they experienced. Maybe we would be less surprised when things don't happen and more surprised when they do. Now, does stuff like this go down every day? No. Have I had my fair share of disappointments? Yes. Do I still believe that God is seated on the throne? I sure do. I'm going to keep praying like it. Do I always get the will of God right? No. But you know what? I'm going to keep praying to my Heavenly Father. You know what? And I just take solace in the fact that He wants me to get where He wants me to go more than I want to get where He wants me to go. And He can get me there. I can go places. God can open doors. I can meet people. He can do things. It will change your life. All I know is this. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't. And those coincidences, I believe, are providences. That was a lot of stories. Yeah. Just the tip of the iceberg. God is still a God who answers prayer. Not always the way that we want Him to, when we want Him to. 
I have so many unanswered prayers, so many question marks, so many disappointments. But here's what I know for sure. I think this is a message for the person who has given up on prayer. That has had too many disappointments and says, I can't, I can't do it again. What's your other option? All you can do is pray. That's all you can do. And if you do, the day will come that you'll be able to trace some wonderful genealogies. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. God, when are you going to do this? How might this happen? How could this miracle come into being? All for the glory of God. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship teams to come. And instead of closing this weekend with a song, I want to invite them to play. And I want to invite you to take a few moments and just pray. A little different. um, But it seems to me like... uh, It might be a good way to put into practice some of what we've been talking about. And so what we want to do is just give you a few moments. And you know what? I don't know how the Lord's going to lead you. It might be something that you need to write down and begin praying for. Or maybe you go right back to this story in Acts and you're looking at it and God gives some revelation. You know, what's your rooftop? Where are you praying to me? You know, or or you're challenged to pray regularly by Cornelius' example, or, or you just have to step back and say, Lord, I've been worrying about this and worrying about that, and I just, I put it into your hands. Or maybe the Lord wants to bring to memory some of the miracles that he's done and retrace some of those genealogies. But however the Lord leads you, I'm going to invite our bands to begin to play as I pray, and then we're going to give you a few moments just to Seek the Lord on your own. Father, we humble ourselves before you. God, I pray that we would not be a people that just worship you when there are words on a screen. But that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. And I pray that we would not be a people that just praise when someone else is praying or use someone else's words. God, we want to talk to you and you want to talk to us. And Lord, thank you that it really doesn't matter exactly what we say if our heart is in the right place. It's not our words. In fact, you know every word before it's even on our tongue. It's just about us saying uh, that we're reaching out to you and we need you and we love you. And wow, we would love to know you more. And so God, we seek your face in these moments and invite you to come as we just sit in your presence and simply say, God, here I am. Here I am.